Are we recording? You always ask that whenever I start recording. Yeah, well, I'm not paying attention to buttons being pushed. <laughs> <laughs> listen, listen, this chaos right here. Yes. This is called Between the Gutters. Welcome to the show. You are now listening to Between the Gutters in the um, halfway sunny land of San Francisco. Oh, very nice. This is... Okay, we'll introduce you in a little bit, but we're going to follow our plan. <laughs> this is Albert Lamb. This is Drew Tan. Drew Tiberius Ferg Tan. <laughs> Albert... Sebastian Acosta. I don't know what I'm saying, dude. I don't know what I'm saying. And we have a third person here, but we'll get to that in a moment. What is today's topic, Drewford? Well, Alberticus, our topic is comics we liked when we were kids, but we ain't kids no more. Okay, so just to clarify what that means. Clarify for us, Alberta. Let me preach. Let me preach. Preach it, baby. How to do. How to do. So, the topic essentially today is going to be comics that we liked as children and how we've grown since then and just kind of their impact on us and where we are now as we've developed into more mature comics readers, you know? And I I don't mean that we've gone into grosser stuff or anything like that. I just mean, contextually speaking, how we've grown. Oh, I thought you were really into Crossed. I am. I'm into Crossed and a bunch of Chuck Austin comics. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like World Watch. Yeah, oh, and uh, Taboo. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Talos, or what, what, what uh-huh. was it called? Telos? Uh, no, you're, you're thinking of Terret. Terret, yeah. Jim Balin. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. Uh, and uh, what's the one with the chick with the rose? Um, it, isn't it just called Rose? No, no, not uh, Rose. You're thinking of that Joseph Michael Linsner comic? I don't remember. <laughs> but Don, you know, Don, Don, there you go. That's the one, Don. Don. Oh, and uh, uh, I'm also into uh, the the fairy tale comics. Yeah. <laughs> the, the Xenoscope comics. Yeah, whatever. It got a little uh, furry, furry action yeah, going yeah, on. Yeah, uh, like hot Snow White and okay. hot Little Red Riding Hood and <laughs> hot Aesop's Fables. <laughs> oh, man. You, you sure you want this on the recording? Yeah, I'm a deviant. He's, he's honest. I'm he's a honest deviant. Not, else, un- folks. not unlike one of the inhuman... Uh, slave creatures that inhabit their world. You're an alpha primitive. Yeah, I'm an alpha primitive deviant. Okay. <laughs> Wait, Ouch. deviants were in Eternals, right? Yeah, deviants okay. were Eternals, Okay, there we go. There yeah, we you're go. thinking of alpha primitives. Okay, well, yeah, same uh, same diff. Yeah, I mean, I think they're somehow related or tied in to each other. Yeah, they're very similar. Yeah. Yeah. So, so basic principle is... <laughs> totally over my head. Albert is nuts. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> If you if you've never heard of any of the comics he just name dropped, uh, don't bother looking them up. Yeah, They're, that was purely tongue in cheek. Those are terrible comics. Yeah, so bad. Yeah. <laughs> Plus, they're they're not safe for work either. So yeah. you do not want to be caught looking them up. You don't want them on your web browser. Yeah, you don't. Yeah, Dude. you don't want people thinking that you're some sort of animal. Animal. <laughs> they're like animals. So I slaughtered them like, like they animals. were animals. <laughs> So we're going to also introduce a new co-contributor to our uh, podcast today, a good friend of ours. We have Julian Zachary Hanna in the studio with us today. Mm, yes, sir. Way to throw my whole name out there, Drew. Good job. Hey, it's professional. We want to know all about you. Uh-huh. We want you... He called me Drewford. I yeah. called him Alberticus. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're yeah. getting all kinds of... 
official here. Come on, Zacharias. <laughs> Zach. <laughs> <laughs> and hence, and hence, the code names began. Yes. So tell us a little bit about yourself and your uh, history with comics, and um, and and yeah, we'll go into this will this will be a good jumping off point to again, like to just to reiterate our com- our topic today is just comics that we liked as kids, and uh, we ain't kids no more, and about how we ain't kids no more, and you know how we've grown. And how we grown men readers now. Grown men comic readers. We read sophisticated We're stuff. We're grown Manfred comic readers. Yup. Yup. We read Arch Spiegelman and yeah. Daniel Klaus. Yeah. And Terret. <laughs> <laughs> we read Alan Moore's Neonomicon. Oh my gosh. Really do you like this? do you Are like we... Cthulhu Cthulhu sex related comics that make you feel uncomfortable as an adult? There we go. <laughs> Oh my gosh. So Zachary, <laughs> that's your introduction. Tell us a little bit about yourself. All right, Albert. Well, <clears throat> besides wondering what I've just walked in on, um, I don't know. I've Comics were always kind of a, a presence. They were there since before I could read. I remember my uh, older brother was into comics, and uh, he would sit there, and he was into art, so he would sit there and he would draw, and he'd be drawing from the comics. So I remember um, having this kind of fascination with them, uh, even before I could read, and even before I could read well. Um, I was just fascinated with these these pictures on a page that told a story, and somehow, like I knew it was an image, like on a flat page, but somehow. Um, it looked alive, it looked three-dimensional, and that someone could draw that and, and make it into a book that you could read. Uh, I just, I found it fascinating. I, I knew they weren't photographs, I knew someone had drawn them, mm. and I knew it was possible to draw them, because, you know, from the very first time that I remember seeing comics, I also remember seeing my older brother drawing and copying from the comics, so I knew yeah. it was something that you could draw. Um, and, you know, obviously, once I learned how to read, <laughs> shortly after that, um, I that's just what got me in the door and I was just kind of obsessed with it uh, for a very long time um, for a very long time after that I sort of dropped off for a while yeah. kind of around the time that the uh, the clone saga began with yeah. Spider-Man huge Spider-Man fan I used to be a huge Spider-Man fan <laughs> yeah. and then all the stuff with uh, Ben Riley and, and the Jackal and all that yeah. and I think I was in middle school going into high school at around that time or maybe like early years in high school and I just remember, um, you know, it just got to a point where I was just like, okay, like, I'm not really into this anymore. Yeah. Like, I, there's so much stuff that either A, I feel like I've already seen, mm. or B, it's it's kind of new, but it's not good. It's like, <laughs> it's like badly done. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember a lot of uh, Claremont X-Men and <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Executioner's Song and stuff like that. All the crossovers yeah. that we grew up with. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, I would I would read a lot of that stuff, and um, you know, at some point I was just like, okay, I'm I'm kind of bored with this. Yeah. And I think if, that's a pretty common sentiment with a lot of people where they uh, we mentioned this in our other podcast, but you know, people uh, grow up with comics, and when you're young, there's there's a passion for it. But you know, as you get older, you there's I think we all have a similar experience where we all just kind of drop off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, we talked yeah. about this when Shanice was on our show. Yeah. We talked about how a lot of kids <clears throat> grow up reading comics, but everybody arrives at a moment of truth when you give up comics yeah. or you find some other activity that, that yeah. draws your interest, another hobby, 
whether it's video games or watching cartoons or or, sports or, or hey or, maybe you just yeah sports or you grow up and discover girls or something yeah. and you just don't have time for comics yeah. yeah and at some point in the future down the line you get that opportunity to get back into comics and a lot of people yeah. don't take that opportunity yeah it's 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 a it's the <clears throat> moment where you cross the rubicon mm-hmm. where you become where it's the deciding fact moment where you you're either just a guy that reads comics or a comics fan Crossing the Rubicon. Yeah, I like that. That was eloquently put, Alberticus. Thank I'll you, say. thank you. I'll we're say. we're all we're all poets in our own right. I think. Yes. Yeah. Alberticus the second. Yes, Alberticus Finch the second. Alberticus Pontificus the second. There we Ooh, go. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> Romans, lend me your ears. <laughs> so, Zach. Uh, so I guess that's a good way for us to jump into this, but. Uh, we've all made a list of comics that, you know, that we read when we were younger. And you mentioned a few um, in your introduction where you get, where uh, these were the comics that we read as kids. And, you know, for good or bad, they were what got us into comics. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Do you uh, have any in particular that you would like to uh, share with us today? Um, sure, I guess. Um, some of them I read... You know, just because, well, many of them I read because I liked the art. Um, you know, like I said, my older brother, uh, initially I saw him drawing comics at the same time that I learned how to read them. That also got me into drawing comics as well. So I was always sort of looking at things from, from an artist or an artistic standpoint. Mm. Um, if I was sort of like wowed or impressed by the art, um, then normally either that's what caught my eye or some sort of concept for a story that I thought was cool at the time. Like when I was a kid, I, Death of Superman was a huge thing for me. Um, mm. I had never seen Superman. I'm like, Superman can die. Okay, how does that happen? <laughs> so apparently, I, apparently, if you punch him really hard, <laughs> that's, all it, that's all it really takes. You yeah. just have to be willing to have a bone croppings grow out of your fists and <laughs> well, be strong know. enough to make yeah. Superman bleed. <laughs> I didn't know if you knew that, but one of his weaknesses is punching. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's magic, kryptonite, and being punched. Yep. Oh, being punched by a creature who's been evolved over, I guess, like years and years. Yeah. You know, accelerated evolution, because that's a thing. You can definitely do that. Do you want to go into that story a little? Co- is that is <laughs> completely scientifically viable? <laughs> I mean, was that the... Were you just name-dropping that story, or was that one of the actual stories that you wanted to uh, discuss? Uh, it's kind of both, because, like, I was... I wasn't thinking to discuss discuss it initially, but yeah. that was well, definitely I mean, one of the Well, I mean, that's a big things. one. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. That was one of the yeah. bigger ones. And then I had, you know, all the stuff that came after that. Yeah. Um, Reign of the Superman. Yeah, 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 Reign of the Superman and all that. But I just remember being really impressed or like or taken with the idea that, okay, you're going to actually kill Superman and, like, how is that yeah. going to happen? Because I wasn't even a Superman fan before that. Yeah. And I actually kind of didn't like Superman. So, like, a story where Superman dies... I was kind of interested to read that, and all my all my friends as well. I remember there was like a line outside yeah. the comic shop. Mm-hmm. Everybody was there early. It was a big like, deal, man. It yeah, like really it was deal. on the news. Yeah, and they made all these like special covers that people were buying up because yeah. they just thought that this is gonna be worth millions of dollars because <laughs> yeah. Superman is never coming back. They're never. G- this is the last Superman story yeah. of all time. You gotta buy multiple copies because yeah. it comes inside a black poly bag, and you can get the armband and wear it on yeah. your 
arm so you can show your respect to a fallen icon. You gotta buy one to read, one for an investment, and one to keep for an even greater investment further down the line when you've sold that second one that yep. you've made as an investment initially. Yep. Actually, actually, <laughs> don't even joke about that. Because the way, you want to know the way how I read it? Yeah. It was like, my older brother, um, I think he bought two or three copies of everything. Oof. <laughs> <laughs> literally, literally. Wait, wait, I have to ask this. Is he rich now? <laughs> Unfortunately, unfortunately, no. That is not how things turned out. So yeah, he had because you know he had the long boxes and everything, yeah. and he would have one um, stack or one set of comics yeah. that he literally just kept in the poly bags, bagged and boarded. You were not to touch those, put fingerprints on them ever. Like you didn't even want to touch them when they were in the bags. Like we would all get like knocked out or like punched in the jaw yeah, if, yeah, yeah. if we came anywhere <laughs> near those. And then he's like, "Okay, here are the other ones that you can read, yeah. but you know, don't touch them too much. Don't bend the covers. Don't yeah. blah blah blah." Because you know, I want to keep them as close to mint condition as possible because mm. these are going to be big collectors' items. Yeah. And blah blah blah. So <laughs> he he definitely had a very strong um, collector's mindset for the you know direct edition and the variant foil yeah, yeah, covers yeah. and all that stuff so a lot of the stuff that i read um either was in that same vein or was like from his collection i was just like you know following in his footsteps yeah i found out later on incidentally complete side note but i found out later on that a lot of the stuff that he had he didn't even read like he just wanted to <laughs> wow <laughs> he was telling you <laughs> he just wanted to keep it in the bags because yeah. he thought it was going to be valuable later on whereas Ooh. I was completely the opposite. I'm yeah. like, oh man, there's all these stories and characters and, and worlds that I can jump into. And that's what was interesting to me about it. So, Do you mind if I uh, ask, like, do you remember, like, two things. One, do you remember anything about, like, who the creative teams behind it were? And two, like, if you could give, like, a brief synopsis of just what the story was, just, you know, so anyone listening can kind of have an, like, give me, like, 15 to 30 second just what what happened all right just bare bones breakdown yeah. death of superman yeah all right the creative team i do not remember so well i Maybe think that was uh dan jurgens it was Jergens. dan the stan jurgens yeah it was a it was a crossover though so i think all the writers of the superman titles at the time were involved yeah i can't remember who else i think louis simonson was probably one of them. Yeah. Maybe Jerry Ordway, but I really can't say for certain without verifying. The most prominent it. name that I can remember is Dan the Jer Dan the Jergens. <laughs> Dan Jergens. <laughs> yes, Dan. Dan, Dan the Jergens. Right. Yep. Heretofore, forever more known as. Um, so yeah, <clears throat> that's the creative team. Basic bare bones uh, story breakdown is um, this: this monster Doomsday um, is genetically engineered uh, on another planet specifically uh for the purpose of of destroying of, of killing superman um he's a hate engine basically pretty much yeah so he he becomes stronger basically through this um process they've developed of of sort of forced or accelerated evolution mm. wherein they sort of create this 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 thing this uh this organism i guess yeah. you call it um, subjected to stress, killing, death, yeah. again and again and again and yeah. again. It was until... designed to be the perfect weapon that would just be killed, reborn, and eventually over time <laughs> wipe out whatever it was designed to kill. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, exactly. So, uh, long story short, again, it, you know, kind of 
backfires on them. It gets loose and, and wrecks everything. And, you know, by, by the skin of their teeth, they manage to imprison this thing. Mm. Um, and, and they put him away for a while. But, of course, he breaks loose. And uh, that's, that's where the story starts. He breaks loose, makes it to Earth. And, y- you know, then the battle between him and Superman ensues. Yeah. And well, he just punches Superman really hard enough times, yeah. killing him. <laughs> That's that. That was the death of Superman. Um, they they. It's the thriller in Metropolis. Metropilla. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they beat uh, each other to death. That's it. Effort. It That's was like, literally just six I- issues of them. <laughs> what was it? Six. Uh, I don't remember how long the actual fight was. I I want to say that their actual fight was that one issue. Yeah. Because. I don't know if you guys remember, but <clears throat> when when it got down to the last four issues of that storyline, each of those four issues had a certain number of panels per page, and part one had four panels on every page. Part three, part two had uh, three panels on every page. Part I two had two panels. I did not know that. That and, is quite a gimmick. <laughs> yeah, and, and then the, the, the final part had one page, one panel per page. Yeah, every page was a splash yeah, panel. Yeah, every page was a splash yeah. panel. Wow. Yeah, yeah, I didn't even remember that. That's yeah. it's complete geekery right there. Yeah. Congratulations, man! I don't know you why get I a know no that prize. Stuff. You get a no yeah. prize. <laughs> I, f- I feel like my whole life's been one long no prize. <laughs> <laughs> well, do you mind uh, telling us um, what sort of impact did that leave on you? Like now, looking back, like yeah, uh, now now as a reader, now what 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 were your thoughts at the time, and what what are your thoughts now? Okay, okay, really good question. Um, at the time, as a kid, I was actually pretty moved by it because I was like, "Well, for one, you mean? I mean, obviously they've they come up with this like monumental thing of actually killing Superman, and and this is how it's done. This is how it happens. Blah blah mm-hmm. blah. Uh, this is what he had to give up or sacrifice to stop this creature. And there's that whole panel with like Lois just like holding him and crying and like yeah. they're trying to revive him, and nobody can figure out how to revive somebody who's invincible. Yeah. <laughs> You need air tanks to kind of yeah, like, yeah. they kind of like fill his lungs or whatever. They couldn't even, I think there was one panel where they were like, we couldn't even puncture his skin with a <laughs> syringe, like to get an IV in him. Right? So yeah. it's like, they, there's the this tale of this guy who's given so much for his species that he's not even technically a part of, like he's yeah. technically not even human. But, um, you know, he gave everything to sort of try and protect people and even even when it was time to give his life he didn't he didn't step back because mm. him being superman my first thought was like okay he's used to being invincible what happens when he finally gets hurt yeah is he gonna like punk out and back down like, <laughs> is he gonna pull around a rousey and just shut down and, and just come back yeah it's easy to be brave when you're indestructible <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah so it's like you you see him bleed you see him get frustrated you see him swear you see him get beaten up yeah and and then he dies and there's nothing anyone can do to save him yeah um, and then there's, you know, that issue, I think a couple issues <coughs> after all, afterward, I think it's funeral like funeral for a friend. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like just looking into like how the world is without Superman and yeah. people mourning him and trying to deal with moving on and stuff like that. Um, so again, as a kid, having, having not really seen anything like that before, um, I was pretty moved by it. I was like, wow, this is okay. Like this is to me at the time, I'm like, okay, this is a Superman story with like with substance and it kind of puts the man in Superman and I can it makes the character more relatable to me to mm. me rather than like you know um, this guy who leaps tall buildings and it can you know outrace a train and all this and just like okay whatever like that doesn't really mean anything to mm. me but 
but who is the guy? Like, who is the man? Like, how does he respond to to being hurt, to being killed, mm. you know? Man, you were a really contemplative child back then. <laughs> Those were just my thoughts. You, got, you had deep thoughts as a kid, yeah. man. I was just like, they punching each other. <laughs> Watch them fight. He's pow, pow, pow. He dead. He's strong. He no, dead. He's strong. <laughs> Lois sad. <laughs> Superman no no live no more. Right, Superman. Albert sad now. No. <laughs> so so I guess that's that's your reaction to uh, what Superman voice were you? Is that, is that how you sounded when you were a kid? <laughs> yeah, I was a pretty funny sounding child. Uh, I was really. I was really influenced by Lenny from Of Mice and Men, apparently. <laughs> no judgment, no judgment. Lenny was a good character, man. He had, he had a good heart. He had a good heart. I, I remember reading that at the time. I And, you know, I was moved by the, um, to some degree, the simplicity of it all. I mean, it was yeah. essentially just, it was Rocky, basically. It was Superman. Yeah. And, uh, you know... Ivan Drago, I guess, or... Yeah, Ivan Drago would be the one I'd yeah. compare it to, and just them punching each other out, because that last issue was... There wasn't really anything much to it except just an all-out brawl between Superman and mm-hmm. someone of greater or equivalent strength to him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. do you have any thoughts on that, Drew? Well, when I was a kid, I wasn't extremely enthralled by it, because... To be honest, I wasn't really a, a big DC reader. That was probably one of the few DC comics that I did sort of read. Uh, I don't like. I, n- I never really owned it because uh, funds <clears throat> at the time were limited for me. Mm. But I remember reading it at, at stores, at bookstores, when bookstores used to have comics. When mm. there used to be bookstores. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, hang on. Side note: When there used to be Toys R Us, which also sold comics. Oh, yeah. Apparently now that's gone over <clears throat> too. But yep. yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, that whole Superman story drew my attention because it was such a big event. It was it huge was, hype. Yeah, it was. Yeah. That's the main reason why I was drawn to it because everybody at the store, uh, Wizard Magazine or whatever, yeah, everybody was talking about it and hyping it up. Mm. I don't think I felt moved or attracted to it beyond that, beyond the uh, the basic the spectacle of the it, spectacle, the action, yeah. the fighting. I don't. I definitely didn't have any thoughts like, oh, wow, this story puts the man in Superman or or anything beyond, uh, you know, the surface of the plot. Mm. I don't think that story did enough to make me want to continue reading it because I read the fight. I didn't really care about Funeral for a Friend. Mm. When, <clears throat> when Reina the Superman came out, that was the story where Superman was dead and buried and there were these four other characters that yeah. were all Superman related characters. You had Superboy, you had Steel, you had the Eradicator, and you had the Cyborg Superman and yeah. supposedly one of those four characters was the real Superman and it was kind of a mystery for the reader. Mm. You know, they wanted to they wanted you to keep on reading so you'd find out which one of these guys is actually Superman. Yeah. So I I wasn't that didn't really draw me either. Like, I read yeah. them here and there, but I didn't follow the story. I, yeah, I was yeah, never... Same, it wasn't ever anything that really drew my attention. Yeah. The same here. Yeah. I, I think <clears throat> in contrast now, 
like I can definitely look back on it and see like the yeah. sort of the sort of gimmicky nature of it. Like, yeah. Okay, what's going to draw more readers than like literally like killing Superman, yeah. right? Yeah. And then obviously you had the whole way that the market was at that time with with the yeah. variants, the alternate covers, mm-hmm. the um, the spinoffs, like you were just saying, Drew, uh, mm-hmm. with the reign of the Superman and all that. Um, so you know there there's stories and then there's there's marketing ploys yeah. and there's a business aspect to it that I was, I'm conscious of now, whereas I wasn't so conscious of back then. Yeah, and speaking of like marketing ploys, you guys know the story uh, <clears throat> behind how they decided to do this story. They were having one of their usual editorial retreats mm. and talking. All the all the Superman editors and writers were in their conference room or wherever they were discussing their upcoming vision for the next year's worth of comics. They didn't. Nobody really had any ideas that really that people were going to rally around and then i think somebody in the room said let's kill him off kind of as a joke and wow. then somebody was like huh let's do it wow and and that actually caught yeah. like yeah i have to imagine there was some resistance to that like but we have to admit that in terms of <clears throat> fiscal success i mean it made them a lot of money and even to this day like we can i'm pretty sure you can say that that one storyline still has um impact in terms of like how it's affected comics oh yeah i mean dc made money yeah a lot of people lost money and they yeah and they still like trot out doomsday yeah like as a selling point and they still you know, talk about the four supermen uh, in various ways to try to milk it for, you know, yeah, whatever yeah. way that they can milk it. I was yeah. going to say, um, I, I was going <laughs> to add earlier that if you really think about it, it was it could have been a really good opportunity to tell a story about what a world what, about what Superman actually means mm-hmm. and uh, just. And again, like if we're gonna stick to the topic of like stuff that I read as a kid, and you know, objectively looking at it now as an adult or you know, a, a, a an older boy, um, <laughs> an older boy or a not quite man, whatever you want to call it. Um, I think you're a man. You're a man in my eyes, Albert. Uh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> A more mature teenager. Yeah, an, an old baby. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, yeah, it was, uh, I think, if they had done it right, if they had gotten quality people to write it, because um, I can honestly say Dan Jurgens is probably not on my list of good writers. Um, <laughs> hey, but if you like him, you know, more power to you. Um, all those out there in Radioland. Um, but... Uh, yeah, if if they really wanted to do it right, they could have done a story that was about the vacuum that was left after Superman's gone, and you could have done a story that was about uh, what Superman means to the world, right? Yeah. And I think, just to tie it into how we've developed as a reader, I think now, if you wanted a story that tells you... Um, a modern story that actually tells you about what Superman is about, I think... The, the best one that I can think of is All-Star Superman by Grant Morrison. Yeah, and is that the Frank Quietly? That is Frank yeah, Quietly. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. 12 issues, and it's, you know, it's perfect. It 
basically covers everything that you need to know about Superman and just what makes him great and why the world needs him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, fantastic run, fantastic yeah. run. I actually have to like kind of vouch for that because I'm not a huge Superman fan. I actually still am not a big Superman fan. Mm. Drew here uh, had me read that. And I was blown away. I mean, yeah. I, I really don't have anything bad to say about it. So Yeah, it's one of those stories where whether or not you're a fan of the character, it's still a great story yeah. and yeah. a great, yeah. a great yeah. series. And when we do our <laughs> DC Top 25, I'm pretty sure that's going to be on yeah. the list. <laughs> yeah. And speaking of how uh, what you were saying, Albert, about how doing a story like The Death of Superman could have... It was a missed opportunity for sophisticated storytelling. Yeah. yeah. In our last episode, we were talking about the death of Captain America, and I think that's an example of how it's done right, because that's a story where the main character died, and it was all about the ramifications of his world. Not only the the characters, his friends that he left behind, but society and the Marvel Universe as a whole. It was all about how they were reacting to the void that was caused by his death, and the meaning of the the iconic status and symbolism of Captain America. Okay. Yeah, I think the pattern that I'm sort of picking up from what you guys are saying, and I agree, um, you're kind of you're kind of peering into the relationship uh, between characters and kind of the way that they interact with the world that they're in, which is storytelling on one level versus something happened. Yeah, <laughs> the, yeah. The, this event yeah. happened, and that's it. That's all you get, yeah. right? I think that's how a lot of comic books, not only from when we were kids, but how comics are today, even especially. When we're just talking about your mainstream uh, Marvel and DC comics. Most of those comics nowadays, they're not really about anything other than official biographies of these fictional characters. Yeah. You know, yeah. stuff happens. Yeah. And if you're invested it's in the just characters, the then plot along. yeah, you you want to read it if you really like the character. But if you if all you care about is a really solid story that not only gives you the character but gives you something to think about or consider. That's a little lacking at points yeah. nowadays. Yeah. All right. Drew, like, so I feel like this would be a good time for to ask you, what comics from your childhood <laughs> do, were, do, were you really into, and uh, how how has uh, your view on that comic changed over the years? There were a lot of Marvel comics that I liked growing up as a kid. Uh, I'll just start with one, which was Amazing Spider-Man, because what kid doesn't like Spider-Man? Yeah, yeah. Kids back then, kids today, you know, Spider-Man's always high up there. Spider-Man, the Amazing Spider-Man comic back when we were growing up in the late 80s and early 90s, it was something that I always liked, just because it was Spider-Man. Yeah. He had a lot of titles at the time. He had, there was Amazing Spider-Man, Spectacular Spider-Man, Web of Mm Spider-Man, and then in the early 90s, T-Mac, excuse me, Todd McFarlane launched Adjectiveless (laughs) (laughs) Spider-Man. What were you going to call him? Todd Thaddeus McFarlane. (laughs) Oh, is that his middle name? Probably not. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, so you're really going to throw that out there, right? (laughs) Like, for sure, that's his name. There, there was Sensation <laughs> Spider-Man, Thaddeus. too. That came out in the mid-90s. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, yeah, there were always all these Spider-Man titles, and Amazing Spider-Man was considered the flagship title. Mm. Mm. That was the one that had the longest, uh, hi- the highest numbering at the time. It was a series that I don't think has aged too well. 
Looking back at the amazing Spider-Man comics I liked as a kid, most of those were written by David Michelinie and drawn by Mark Bagley. Mm. Uh, Before Mark Bagley drew it, Eric Larson drew some of that and Todd McFarlane before him. Like, those were all the comics that I grew up reading. You know, they were the ones that had... That was the run that had uh, Venom... And then... Cosmic Spider-Man. Cosmic Spider-Man. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's fighting the Tri-Sentinel. I was yeah. trying to think of what that robot was yeah, called. Wait. It was the Tri-Sentinel. Yeah. Cosmic... I don't know about this one. Cosmic Spider-Man? Oh. So there's this thing... There called... is a funness in that story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's, this, there's this entity in the Marvel Universe called uh, Captain Universe. Yeah. And it's basically this aura or spirit that it looks Im- for different heroes or, or people to... Dwell in, yeah, or, yeah, yeah, and once it finds those hosts, it gives them these really extremely powerful cosmic powers. Yeah. So Sp- Spider Man was flying around. Uh, he became the strongest being in the universe. Yeah. Like, way stronger than he was. Yeah. Wow. Like, wow. all right. In one issue, he punched the Hulk into space. <laughs> <laughs> well, it doesn't get much more metal than that. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, so that was the era of, of uh, Spider-Man comics I liked when I was a kid. Looking back, those weren't very good Spider-Man comics. Yeah. <laughs> they did some of the more memorable storylines from when we were kids included the story where uh, Carnage was introduced. Yeah. There was also a car- crossover called Maximum Carnage. Mm. There was a story where David Michelinie brought back Peter Parker's parents. Mm. Except it turned out they were actually cyborgs created by the Red Skull or somebody. Yeah. That, yeah, that was wow. That yeah. wasn't good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I um, that that run is actually on my list of uh, comics as well. Just uh, just a series that when I was a kid, I would go back to constantly. Again, just like you. Uh, because it was Spider-Man, you yeah. know? And I was a kid. I didn't know nothing. All I knew was it had Spider-Man, and I loved it just because. Yep. Yeah, but, same here. Same yeah. here. You read I, those two, Zach? Yeah. Well, not specifically the ones you were talking about, but I definitely, like, was kind of a religious collector of Spider-Man when yeah. I was a kid. I think, I think I was very much in love with the concept of Spider-Man, like, with the concept of the character. And it's just like, hey, like, if there's a Spider-Man title, I'm buying it. I want to yeah. see what happens, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Not to mention, yeah, I was definitely a Todd McFarlane fan when yeah. I first saw his work. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my older brother had Spawn, I think, number one or something, and, you know, he'd freak out about that. Again, with the multiple copies, like, mm-hmm. and even the, quote, reading copy, like, I wasn't really allowed to touch that either. These are collector's <laughs> items. This is going to be worth a lot of money someday, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, this one time, Albert and I went to a comics store, and we found a copy <laughs> of Spawn number one. It wasn't even in mint condition, but it was hung on the wall, and they were selling it for 40 bucks. <laughs> Those guys had an, uh, a high opinion of yeah. Spawn number one. Yeah, <laughs> obviously. It wasn't obviously. even mint condition. Well, let me uh, add on to that story with another anecdote. One time, we went to this uh, convention in Berkeley, and... <laughs> There was a dude there. It was it was a that was a really amazing day, and I'll I'll save that story for another time. But suffice it to say, it was just a day that we just ran into all kinds of characters. It was really a bizarre day, to be quite <laughs> honest. Uh, but one thing that I do remember was we were walking around from the various booths uh, in attendance, and we came across this one booth, and this guy had this 
short box of just Spawn comics. Yeah. And I forget, what, what did the sign say, Drew? <laughs> I think he was selling this whole run of Spawn comics. I think they might have been missing... 20 issues here and there yeah because there were some gaps but it was a pretty comprehensive run of spawn i think it was like 75 bucks or something no like it that? was more than that yeah it was <laughs> I, I i think just out of curiosity and my own <laughs> yeah. twisted pleasure i i acted like i was interested and yeah. i asked him excuse me sir how much is this and i think he said it was 200 bucks or something like that and i was like <laughs> oh okay thanks and then i just walked away yeah <laughs> i mean the, the funny thing is it's pretty intense if you were a third-person uh, observer, it probably wouldn't have meant anything to you. But because I knew Drew, I was in on the on the joke. So I was snickering when he was asking because I knew deep down inside he had no real interest in this. <laughs> it's like, hey, dude, two hundred bucks, man. Come on, get get your money's worth. <laughs> I wanted to All those spawn issues. I wanted to add to uh, the stories that you mentioned uh, because. There were a couple of those Spider-Man stories that stick with me even to this day. And, like, I can look at them now and say that they're not good, but mm -hmm. I remember very specific stories that I would just read over and over yeah. as a kid and uh, that just totally captured my imagination. Like, one of them that... Uh, that was in that run and it might be a smaller uh, arc that I, I don't even know if anyone still remembers this was the return of the it was either return of the spider slayers or revenge of the spider slayers yeah where yeah. a villain yeah. from spider-man's long past this uh, scientist or, or basically his creations were coming back and they were threatening spider-man and it was like all these robots that were coming from his past. And uh, the revelation turned out to be that, spoilers people, that <laughs> <laughs> it was his son, Alistair Smythe, who had uh, come back and built these robots to get revenge on Spider-Man. Dude, I remember that one. Yeah. Because initially when you were describing it, I'm like, it sounds familiar, but I've probably never read it. No, They, they I, adapted that for the 90s Spider-Man cartoon. cartoon. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Now yeah. that's how I remember it. Yeah. yeah. And as a kid, it was just great because it was Spider-Man fighting robots. What more did I need? Yeah. Yeah. Apparently, plot and character and good dialogue. Yeah. <laughs> that's what you need as an adult. Right? Yeah. Obviously not. It, you know, it's not a big thing. You know, speaking yeah. of in Invasion of the Spider Slayers or whatever it was called. Uh, oh, that, that's right. That, is that what it's I think called? that's right. I think okay. that's right. Invasion of the Spider <laughs> That was one of those... That was a storyline from back in the days when... Every summer, they would do these bi-weekly events, mm -hmm. uh, six-parters. And w another one from that era was called Round Robin. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was basically about... It was a pretty weird story when you think about it because it, it takes a, an obscure uh, plot thread from a Moon Knight comic and mm -hmm. puts it into Spider-Man's world. Mm -hmm. So the plot of Round Robin was Moon Knight used to have a sidekick. What was his name? Midnight? Yeah. That, yeah. That's right. And Midnight got really messed up or beat up left for dead or something yeah. and then the secret empire gets their hands on him they're scientists they're a shadow organization mm -hmm. yeah. yeah they're a shadow organization bent on world domination or something <laughs> like it, it doesn't really matter they wanted the perfect recipe to uh coke yeah. brownies <laughs> yeah <laughs> the secret empire <laughs> They ended up finding Midnight's body and they grafted cyborg parts on him and turned him against his mentor. So he was no longer a hero. He was a bad guy. Yeah. And the Secret Empire also got some other 
guys to team up with them, like the Wrecking Crew. Yeah. Mm. Then, so Spider-Man is up against the Secret Empire for some reason, and he ends up teaming up with a bunch of other heroes who were kind of popular at the time. So he had, you had Moon Knight. Yeah. You had Nova and Night Thrasher from the New Warriors. Yeah. You had the Punisher. Yeah. You had Darkhawk. Uh, was there anyone else? Uh, Nova. I think. Oh yeah, Nova was yeah, there. Nova and uh, Moon Knight. Yeah. Did you I, say that? Okay. I, I think I did. Okay. But anyway, it was it was just one of those slam bang action crossovers where everybody Solo. was teaming up. <laughs> was Solo in that? No, you're thinking of Return. Oh, you're right. You're thinking of you're right. Return of the Sinister Six. Punisher. Story. I'm thinking of Punisher. Yeah, Punisher, Punisher was, in, was it. in it. Okay. And, and, and here's here's a funny thing that I remember from this round robin comic that makes me remember when I was a kid and it makes me think of how how much I've changed as an older reader. So there's a scene in the story where the Punisher being... He's basically a normal guy, right? He yeah. doesn't have any powers. He's in a fight with these... With armored the, guys. With these armored guys. Guys who have metal exosuits and whatnot. And they really mess him up and knock him out to the point of him being unconscious and and dazed. <laughs> he's, he's all messed up. Yeah. And the good guys get on... I think they get on Moon Knight's mooncopter... And they're making their... <laughs> <laughs> Even you explaining it now is just... This is a good source of amusement. Yeah. They, they get on his mooncopter and they put Punisher on the bed and, and he's all delirious from whatever's... <laughs> his mind's all addled. Yeah. And the heroes are just trying to lick their wounds as, as they fly away. And while, moon, while they're flying away, the Punisher, he starts dreaming. And during his dream, he starts talking out loud and all the heroes are gathered yeah. around him and you just hear him dreaming and, and you see the panels illustrating what his dream is and it his dream is exactly his origin so it's yeah. this big gigantic info <laughs> dump of exposition where <laughs> the Punisher he's unconscious but just oh dreaming he's, you hear him you hear the dialogue and, and he's just saying stuff like it was a beautiful day in the neighborhood <laughs> beautiful sunny day in the park went to the Went to have a picnic with my <laughs> wife and two children. Then these mobsters came. Too many guns. Couldn't stop them. Couldn't stop the bullets. They killed them all. So much blood everywhere. Had to get revenge. <laughs> and, then, and then he's saying all this stuff. And then the heroes are listening to him. And Spider-Man's looking at him. And he's like, wow, I never knew his story before. And then Nova's like, so that's why he does what he does. <laughs> Yeah. It's a very, wow. like, 80s, 90s, like, storytelling <laughs> method. You know, it's like, oh, he he's in a coma or something, but apparently he's got just enough wherewithal to, like, tell you just enough. His life so, story. Yeah. <laughs> well, even besides that, like, a perfect exposition of it, right? Yeah. Just, like, it's like, not just missing a, a Just detail. in case this was your first Marvel comic ever and you don't know who the Punisher is. Yeah. Here you go. <laughs> Here, kids. <laughs> Do you remember who wrote that one by chance? That was David Michelinie. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I remember that as a kid because, again, it was just taking a bunch of characters, putting them together, and it was just kind of like WWE or something where you just got to see everybody fighting everybody, and it was <laughs> yeah. like, yeah, this is everybody's chance to, like, fight a giant army of dudes, oh, you man. know? Like, as a kid, I'm not yeah. going to lie. That money shot of <laughs> fill in the blank crashing through a skylight. Yeah. Batman, Superman, yeah. whatever. Like someone's getting punched, blown up, chopped up, stabbed with a sword. Okay, I'm yeah. in. That's all yeah. you needed, right? Yeah. Like I'm buying it. <laughs> yeah, but it's 
you know, back to our main topic, it's it's a little hard to get back. It's just really bad writing is yeah. what it is. Yeah. Try not, to read it yeah. now, and the dialogue is probably just over just overly long and it's overly wordy it's overly over, wordy exactly. overwrought yeah. it's it's melodramatic for all the bad reasons yeah and it, it actually detracts from the overall storytelling yeah because a lot of times David Michelinie and other writers that are kind of similar to him Chris Claremont uh writers of that generation they tend Dan to Jergens. yeah they tend to write Stories where characters explain what you can already see them yeah. doing in the in the art, and it it gets really hard to read. People I remember, don't talk like that. Yeah, <laughs> and people don't talk like that. Yeah, I remember as a kid, it was a story that Rand Robin story was a story I read over and over because yeah. it was one of the few comics where I had all six parts of the story. Mm. Yeah, so I would reread it over and over. Loved it as a kid, and then, uh, long story short, I didn't read it for many years. When I was in college uh, and getting back into comics, I, my roommate had a had a copy of the trade for some reason. I, I don't even know how he got a copy of the trade, but one day I was like, "Oh, I should reread that because I liked it when I was a kid." And I read it as a college student. And I was like, "Man, <laughs> why did I like this? <laughs> this is silly." Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think there's that there, that classic rule, you know, of uh, show don't tell. Yeah. And when you're kind of showing and telling the same thing, it, yeah. it, it creates this, uh, I don't know, this weird sort of echo effect that sort of uh, takes you out of the story. It challenges suspension of disbelief. Yeah. You, you know, you're just like, okay, why is the writer having to explain this to me that, that I'm seeing right now? Yeah. Versus, you know, something happens to these characters and like what happens in real life, they respond to it. I mean, I think... Uh, Maybe a good example would be Watchmen, right? Yeah. The dialogue's always doing multiple levels of work. Like you're you're seeing as much about the characters through what's not said yeah. as through what's said. Yeah. That would be an example of, of good dialogue. Plus, you know, there's something going on <laughs> while they're actually talking, but yeah. it's not, you know, exactly word for word the same thing the same thing that's happening. Mm. Um, a lot of Chris I I mentioned uh, Chris Claremont X Men before. A lot of Chris Claremont stuff. Mm -hmm. um, kind of suffered from from that same yeah. syndrome it's like am i reading a comic book or a novel here you know? <laughs> <laughs> what about you albert were there any comics that really stood out from your youth that you want to discuss well i'm gonna seeing as how we discussed spider-man already i'm gonna go with something a little more i don't even know if obscure is the word but i i think he's sort of obscure now like um so I, you know, even as a kid, once once I got a little older and, you know, I needed something that was more appealing to my quote-unquote <laughs> mature sensibilities because I was like a teenager and I was like, Spider-Man's not real, that's not real life, everybody's got to be angsty and everybody's going to be tough. Yeah. And so, like, I got caught up in that 90s wave of, like, comics writing just like a lot of people did and... Uh, and this was, uh, this was kind of an extension of... Um, of the natural progression of comics at the time. So uh, just just as uh, for a little bit of background before I tell you what comic that is. is um, So we had the 80s come and we had stuff like Watchmen and Frank Miller's uh, Dark Knight Return come, come out. And that affected a lot of comics moving forward because um, those are really dark 
and gritty comics and uh, if you can't hear me I kind of did air quotes yeah. or if you can't see it <laughs> I did air quotes um, and uh, a lot of the industry their takeaway from it was oh we need everyone to have trauma and we need everyone to be dark and we need everyone to be like really um, disturbed or damaged or what have you yeah right? they basically took the wrong lessons from those classic yeah. works because those those works are well regarded not because of the tone of of their stories, but yeah. it's because of the craft and the yeah. technical feats and and the sophistication of their yeah. storytelling. Yeah. Not necessarily just because they were dark or gritty. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to deny that those elements of those stories weren't huge uh, factors or appeals. Yeah. Exactly, right? But um, I think those are kind of the most superficial takeaways that totally. you can have you know yeah. like if you if you didn't pay attention to the actual uh artistry or the technical aspects of the work and what they were producing you know if you didn't really look at it with an analytical eye mm -hmm. um and you just kind of took the most surface level lesson from it that's what that's what we walked away with after the 80s um so a lot of the industry saw guys who were you know, we saw, like, a lot of artists like Rob Liefeld and, like, a lot of the guys in Marvel, yeah. like T-Mac and all that, who kind of built their careers on, like, oh, everything's got to be tough now. Everything's you know? got to be extreme. Yeah, everybody's <laughs> teeth are clenching, and your fists are always clenched, and your butthole is super clenched. <laughs> like, there is nothing on your body that is loose. You are just one muscle mass of tension <laughs> you know every muscle is firing at the same time and you know you can't be in this comic unless your gun is at least as big as you are exactly it, and that's that's on a small you side. either have to have a big gun or a big sword or a big axe <laughs> yeah <laughs> right and the pouches let's not forget the yes, pouches exactly lots of pouches if you don't have pouches you just can't be in the comic muscles exactly. upon muscles <laughs> But, um, yeah, so the, the progression of the comics industry from that point was uh, after those guys made their names at Marvel <laughs> producing these comics, comics like X-Force or uh, Spider-Man by T-Mac or even, like, Will Portacio on the X-Men and mm -hmm. uh, Mark Silvestri, Mark Silvestri. Wolverine. Yeah, all these big-level names who made, uh, who built their careers on just drawing, like, tough and dark um, characters and settings or whatever, you know. Uh, in the 90s, a bunch of them moved off on their own to create image comics, mm -hmm. and it was kind of an entire comics line that was built off their that aesthetic because they thought it was going to last forever, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you had guys, again, like Rob Liefeld, uh, Todd McFarlane, and um, Jim, Jim, Lee. Val Jim Lee, Jim, Jim Valentino. Lee. Yeah. And that brings me to the comic that I'm going to discuss, which was Jim Valentino's Shadowhawk, <laughs> which was, which at the time for me, so... I, I'll, in a little bit, I'll tell you about uh, what Shadowhawk was about, but like a little more context. So at the time for me, everybody was into Spawn or Youngblood or Wildcats. Wildcats. Like those are the big ones, and um, all of which I'm guilty of owning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but at the time, I like 
I, I guess there was even a part of me. Yeah, there's always that one kid who's like, oh, I want to be a little different, and like, if all my friends are collecting all those other ones, I kind of want to collect the one thing that, uh, you know, that they're not collecting, so that you know we can all ha- all kind of have all of it, mm-hmm. and I can kind of claim him as my own, right? Yeah. 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 So the the guy that I claimed was Shadowhawk by Jim Valentino. And just to give you an idea of uh, what Shadowhawk was all about, Shadowhawk was kind of a, a vigilante in the vein of Batman in the sense that he was just Image's regular dude, right? So if uh, if the Youngblood was their version of the Avengers or the Justice League and Spawn was their, like, you know... I don't know what he I was. I don't know what he was. He was supposed to be like a magical venom or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then like I guess Savage Dragon was like their Superman. <laughs> I guess they didn't have a Superman yeah. sort of analog. Well, they had I Supreme. Don't... Oh, they had Supreme. Um But I I felt like Shadowhawk was kind of their Batman analog, which was a street level fighter, just a regular dude who went around and the thing that made him that that was supposed to be his kind of signature that made him different from everybody else or that made him different from Batman or Spider-Man was you see Shadowhawk would run around and he would break your spine if you broke a law so he wouldn't kill you but he would cripple you for life and he would <laughs> imprison you for life in a wheelchair and that was his version of justice jeez <laughs> wasn't there also a, another thing about his character where he was HIV positive I was about to get into that so so I remember reading some card or some article on Shadowhawk where they were like saying oh he's the most mysterious character in the image universe because there was this huge backstory about him and no one knew anything about him and like you never saw his face that was the big thing was yeah. you never saw his face and so I remember eventually they did the big reveal yep. of like who what his secret identity was and there was this guy who was going around who was who was basically another vigilante who uh, was kind of following in his footsteps he was a copycat and I I want to say his name was like evil. No, his name was Hawk's Shadow. <laughs> so Shadow Hawk was fighting a guy called Hawk's Shadow. <laughs> and this guy, he went around and he oh, went around man. and he was he was going around murdering criminals. But the thing about him was this guy was a racist. So he was like Shadow Hawk was chasing him around and this guy was going around killing like, you know, gangsters and stuff, but they were all clearly minorities. Those were the people that he was murdering. So in this issue that reveals his origin, um, what happens is there's ultimately a confrontation between, let me emphasize this, Shadowhawk and Hawk's Shadow. <laughs> and the Hawk's Shadow just killed a bunch of these, like, young african-americans and he's just like i'm just doing what you do i'm cleaning up the streets and then shadowhawk means you mean you're just killing people like me and he pulls off his mask and he's an african-american underneath all that and that's like it's a double page spread and i remember that (laughs) that was a big thing it was a huge reveal (laughs) but but the revelation of his backstory was, I think he was like a lawyer or like some sort of community organizer or something who was go- who was basically rubbing the local crime syndicates the wrong way. And they were, they, they showed up and they were 
trying to get him to back off on a crime or on a case or something like that. And he wouldn't do it because, you know, he was, uh, he had integrity, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But so they decided in order to get him, what they would do is they broke into his office one night, beat the crap out of him. And instead of killing him, they injected him with a syringe and gave him HIV. <laughs> that's messed up, dude. Is that real enough for you, Zach? <laughs> because that's what they do in the real world. <laughs> apparently so. Appar- apparently, this is just how things run now. I, I didn't know. Yeah, I didn't that, get that if that were a Marvel comic, he would have gotten powers. Yeah, <laughs> special HIV powers or something. <laughs> but as a kid, uh, oh, so gosh. again to to go back to our earlier theme, as a kid, <laughs> this this you know, or not even as a kid, as a you know, teenager developing his sense of what the real world was like. I was like, man, that's that's so raw, that's so tough, and you know, and like all the all the mystery elements of Shadowhawk. Like, I I claimed him. I was like, look, everybody else is on Spawn, and everybody else is on Youngblood. Like, Shadowhawk is mine, you know. Like, my friends will get Savage Dragon, but this is this is my thing, you know. But. Objectively, looking at it now as <laughs> as an older reader, the art was terrible. I like I can't say that Jim Valentino was a good artist, and I oh think he goodness. wrote it too. Yeah, yeah, oh and uh, I can't <laughs> say that that guy was not overly dramatic. <laughs> like uh, at best, the the best thing that I could probably say about it now is that. Um, maybe his dialogue wasn't that bad. Like, I don't remember it mm-hmm. just because it's been so long. So there's yeah. a chance that the dialogue wasn't... When was the last time you read so, it? Years. It's got to oh, be years. Like, Were you in college? Or uh, younger? No, I probably was in high school at the okay. time. So, um, so yeah. It, it really has been a really long time then. Yeah. yeah. So there's a good chance that that did not age well at all there i'm almost certain it didn't age well there's also a chance that it could have aged better than you think oh that's very true i i could try to track down yeah jim valentino's shadowhawk yeah we see that in quarter bins all the time do we (laughs) i i see it okay yeah it's there if you notice stuff but if you're not really interested in it then yeah why would you notice it (laughs) (laughs) i guess if you're not looking for it right and you know yeah were you ever into Spawn, Zach? Um, you were a T-Mac fan when you were a kid, right? Yeah, but more more like his Spider-Man stuff. Okay. okay. Um, I, I had a few issues here and there of Spawn. I was never a huge, huge fan. I was never like a, a religious Spawn reader like I was Spider-Man. Um, and I was into the T-Mac stuff like more for the art. Mm-hmm. Um, he was doing something new that I hadn't seen before. And, you know... All the sort of exaggerated poses and the the I don't know spaghetti string work. webbing and yeah, yeah. Uh, only to find out incidentally later on because I, I saw it in an interview I can't remember uh, who he did it with but he was talking about how uh, he would do that at the time because he was still figuring out how to draw like for himself <laughs> so you know people always made that claim and I kind of was like okay whatever but you know actually hearing it out of his mouth yeah. And looking back on it now, it's just like, you know, taking nothing away from him uh, as a businessman and as an artist, he's obviously made a fine living for himself. Um, In terms of craft, though, I can't really say that uh, it it holds up well or like it's withstood the test of time in terms of something I go back to as an adult Mm -hmm. now that I read back then, you know? Like, I don't know, for an 11, 12, 13-year-old kid, 
that was cool. But, you know, in the same way that, you know, say like watching 80s movies or something, (laughs) you know, (laughs) for someone really young is cool uh, versus when you come back, some of that stuff, I won't say all of it, but some of it uh, maybe doesn't hold up as well. You know, you just there's some aspects of it that I think uh, you grow out of, you grow out of over time. What would you say are some of the aspects of Todd McFarlane's art that you grew out of? Um, I would say some of the aspects are using more uh, design or gimmicky elements to substitute for a lack of fundamentals. Mm-hmm. I would say uh, examples of that would be, I mean, clearly, uh, if you look at especially some of the early Spider-Man stuff in the early 90s and stuff, and, uh, you know, when he first when he first got on, there were issues with, like, anatomy and issues with feet and hands and uh, issues with poses that would be it was obviously he was trying to draw like very dynamic poses and stuff mm. uh but i, I remember uh, specifically there is this one issue of spider-man being sort of contorted into this pose that like you look at it now and that's just anatomically impossible <laughs> like e- even if you have spider powers or whatever yeah. like the human body just doesn't bend that way mm. can, so, can spider-man's body bend that way not like that i mean i i would find it very hard to believe Mm. It, it's one of those things that even in a Spider-Man mm. story would be kind of pushing it for me. What what happened? What, was he a pretzel or what? <laughs> it was kind of pretzel looking. It was like a. It was supposed to be this big dynamic splash page, and you know he had like one leg up, and then um, one of his hands was like through the other leg, which was like twisted around <laughs> yeah. an arm, and I was just kind of like, <laughs> he was basically like, doing yoga in midair, <laughs> right? And he's firing the webbing, and it's like going all over the place. I'm like, I, I get it, like it's all dynamic and exciting, but there's something kind of weird about it, like. Mm. Even as a kid and not having like a fully developed sense of drawing fundamentals myself, I could even look at that and be like, mm. yeah, I, th- I think there's some problems there. Mm. So, you know, there are some things like that. And um, sometimes he would even, it seemed like he would even sort of like fudge on the environments in the backgrounds a little bit. Because it was more about, you know, selling, oh, hey, this character is cool and he looks so cool. And mm-hmm. it was more about... Uh, form than substance right like mm-hmm. oh it looks cool but then when you really start looking at it like okay are those fundamentals there does he have a good grasp of anatomy does he have a good grasp of form of light and shadow does he have a good grasp of composition am i seeing a good page flow um line weight all that stuff if you look at it with with kind of a more critical eye and especially sorry backing up to sort of my background um i'm I have a background in illustration, and especially having gotten out of school for that now. He's got a master's. Mm. Oh, wow. Zach knows what's up. Hey, <laughs> why are you? <laughs> wait, 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 look at me. Oh, wow. So, so important I'm with confused. my master's in illustration. It's, it's whatever. It doesn't... The degree, the degree wow, that is super... Zach is... Why are you so dismissive of your own, of your own accomplishments? <laughs> Well, it's... It, it, to You're me, a specialist! <laughs> to me, it's almost like having a master's in, like, paranormal activity or something. Like, it's just... <laughs> you know, it's whatever. It it really comes down to, like, you know, what you can do and what your capabilities are mm. um, as an artist and what kind of experience you have. Like, no, if I go to get a job, no one's going to be like, hey, do you have a master's in illustration? It's like, hey, can you draw the thing or not? Mm. Maybe I get outdrawn by some kid who's half my age, you know? Like, we don't know. Mm. Um, but anyway, <laughs> going, going back to T-Mac and, and fundamentals. So I just say that to say that um, if you lo- it, looking back at it now with the more critical eye, um, I'm able to pick out far more things than obviously than I could as a kid. 
when I was a kid, all I knew was, hey, this looks cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but now it's just like it, it just it, it's a house of cards that doesn't stand up as mm-hmm. far as I'm concerned. Um, it's not to say that he hasn't developed more as an artist since then. I don't know. Maybe he's doing some way cooler stuff now than than the Spider-Man that he did at the time. But that specific thing uh, that I saw back then, yeah, it just, you know, it's not something I would, like, pick up and buy again. That's for sure. Mm. So st- strictly something that you appreciated as a child, but as an adult, not really anything that you care for? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I may open up an issue or two or something for a nostalgic value. But yeah. Yeah. Mm. It's not something I would like, you know, really take seriously and and hold highly as like great art or anything. <laughs> would you give somebody a Todd McFarlane comic as a gift? It it depends on the context. Like really. what if what if it's what if it's your friend? <laughs> well, if it was to if it was as a lesson, mm. you know, because the, he, say what you want about T Mac, but he is one of the guys that sort of that he's sort got a of, signature style. Yeah, and it, it, part of it was uh, inspirational to me because I had already been drawing, but, you know, mm-hmm. everyone goes through that phase, hey, draw like Jim Lee, draw like yeah. Todd McFarlane, and he was like one of the guys at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, but he inspired also a lot of other artists at least to, to start drawing or to get into mm-hmm. the industry, and kind of the whole thing that happened and the whole thing that went down with Image also inspired a lot of other creators. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. you know, you don't necessarily have to ride the coattails of the big two or like you know go a certain direction if you want to have your own title and develop your own ip you can do that Mm. you have to work hard but he kind of showed that that business aspect of it and at the very least like like selling yourself the the idea of being able to sell this idea that you have and have it really take off it's possible yeah you know and then what they created with image of course, um, allows creators. It was it was a bigger tool for creators um, than they had had prior to that. Mm. So in that sense, I have to give props where props are due. And then going back to it being a lesson, um, if I was teaching someone art, I could I would hold it up as like, hey, this is one of the things that like sort of inspired <laughs> me yeah. and got me more into drawing comics. Um, but here's some mistakes, yeah. right? Like, the, these are the things you don't want to copy about that. Because yeah. I can see, like, an artist starting out. You look at it, and you think it's really cool. Like, it looks like really great stuff. Yeah. But then you start to sort of point out the the flaws, maybe. And you're like, maybe this is why it doesn't hold up quite so well. Yeah. Right? I mean, I'm not going to deny that... <clears throat> I mean, the guy has a following. And oh, yeah. I'd, yeah. I'd say even to this day, yeah. like, there are people who will defend his artwork and... Yeah. You know, I once went to a comic book store, and the guy considered Todd McFarlane to be reminiscent of the old masters. <laughs> right. Yeah, <laughs> that's a legitimate fan right there. Yeah, yeah. that guy's got some passion. I'll yeah. Say that. Um, and on top of that, I would like to add um, the some of the Spider Mans that I did grow up with also includes the 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 Spider Man without the adjective. The adjective. So it was Spider Man. Drawn and written by Todd McFarlane. Those were really yes. bad. Oh, man. So if you're not a fan, if you're a fan of his art, I I like I I don't know what to say about his writing except like maybe you can defend his art, but I I can't. You can't defend, defend his, his writing. writing. There's no way to defend his writing. <laughs> <laughs> he he he's has, a terrible writer. <laughs> yeah, he makes Dan Jurgens and Chris Claremont. Gosh. Look like yeah. like quality writers, yeah. just by comparison, because because <laughs> there's 
there's writers that I personally don't care for, and I, I'd probably say that Dan Jurgens and Claremont tend to fall in that camp. I mean, maybe some of the things that you, they, they've written would be things that I just really don't like yeah. or hate, but Todd McFarlane, he's not a good writer at all. <laughs> he, no, sir. He, you can tell even that he doesn't have respect for the craft of writing. Mm. The reason why Marvel gave him his own comic to write and draw was because he his popularity was skyrocketing when he was drawing Amazing Spider-Man mm. uh, with that was written by David Michelinie, mm. and he wanted to have his own control <laughs> yeah. to write his own stories and draw them. Yeah, I think he threatened to basically leave at the time, but Marvel capitulated, gave him his own title, said he could do whatever he wanted with Spider-Man, yeah. and that's why he, he got it. Mm. As time went on in the 90s, he got into these big debates with uh, Peter David, who was, who's a good writer. Yeah, he's he's been around for quite a while. Yeah, and back in the nineties, eight late eighties and nineties, he was rising to prominence because of his work on the Incredible Hulk and Aquaman. Yeah. But he and Todd McFarlane used to get into these debates at comic book conventions <laughs> about writers and whether writers are necessary to comics. And I don't yeah. think. I don't think Todd McFarlane really thought that writers were important. Wow, yeah. wow. You know, a couple of a couple of points on that. Um, we also have to keep in mind, in a sense, they were products of their time, mm-hmm. um, and in a sense, their time was a product of them. They mm-hmm. had they had a huge influence yeah. on the comics yeah. industry at the time, um, and sort of the zeitgeist or, or the water they were swimming in at that time, uh, where artists were regarded actually with with almost the same weight then that writers are regarded with now right like mm-hmm, we, people mm-hmm. would get whole titles or whole runs and stuff because hey you know this guy this guy sells and mm. you know this is this is mike turner art and we just we have to <laughs> yeah. you know we have to we have to give him this title and stuff because you know people were excited about the work and people yeah. people wanted to see their favorite artists and they stuff would showcase like that. a lot of these guys mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so that's the first thing um the second thing is this isn't some uh you know, some fest where we're just like bagging on McFarlane. I think there are there are objective criteria sometimes for for looking at what constitutes um, strength in craft versus, I guess, what constitutes weakness in craft. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that those are some of the things that all of us, but but Drew especially and, and Albert are outlining. Drew. Why don't you sort of describe a little bit more sort of the criterion you're using when you discuss, uh, you know, kind of good writing versus bad mm-hmm. writing? Like, why is Todd McFarlane, why do you consider him a, quote, bad writer? Right, because we all, as in Albert and I both know what you mean, but, you know, yeah. maybe It's a pretty general, knows. yeah, like, describer. I yeah. wish I had a, a copy of his Spider-Man in front of me because then I could just read it out loud. Yeah. And yeah. you could really understand what bad writing sounds like yeah there's that old phrase where people say if you read the dialogue out loud uh you can kind of tell if it's if it works or not yeah yeah yeah. if you read todd mcfarland's spider-man dialogue out loud or even his spawn yeah it's 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 silly yeah like it it (laughs) It's clearly a product of its time and not in a good way because yeah. there are other people who wrote comics in the early 90s that yeah. didn't write like that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, It's a yeah. lot of, from what I remember, just him. It's it's a lot of monologue, you know, yeah. and like it just goes on 
at length. And and one and of it's the problems with his, yeah, one of the problems <laughs> with his use of internal narration yeah. and his captions in general is the fact that he does that thing that we mentioned earlier where he's describing what you already see on the page. Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember there's this one f- famous scene in his first issue of Spider-Man and I wish I had the issue right now just so I could uh, you know, quote it exactly. But basically, it's it's Spider-Man swinging across uh, the city, New York City. And there's some captions that are they're trying to build up the drama of what he's doing. So, like one of the captions is is says something like New York's streets, they're packed or whatever, yeah. they're bustling. And then and then there's another thing that says something about how I don't know. Again, I don't have the exact quote, but it was it was something like a little description about yeah. the buildings and and like how majestic they looked. Yeah. <laughs> and then the final one, because you know three is the magic number when you're doing these poetic uh, progressions. Yeah. Uh-huh. He, he's the caption was something like Spider-Man's web line, advantageous. <laughs> and you, as you see him swinging across the city, and <laughs> and and the thing is, I don't think he was trying to be funny. Oh my yeah. He was trying to be dead serious. He thought he was being poetic. He yeah. thought he was being dramatic. But it just comes off sounding flat, yeah. absolutely silly. It's funny for all the wrong reasons. It's it's yeah. entertaining, but You're laughing unintentional. at it, not yeah. with it. <laughs> exactly, exactly. It, I was gonna say it feels. When I think about his writing, it feels like he's like a 1920s like ad man or something like that, or newsman is like bright lights, cityscapes. I tell you, it's like in New York, anyone can make it. <laughs> you know, and it's just like who writes? Who like even if this is Spider-Man's internal monologue, who thinks like that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so, it's so, like Lady Liberty, <laughs> shining in the distance. Cut post. <laughs> That would be actually pretty dope if they were like, I don't know, some cartoon episode that was like that. <laughs> so, so actually just breaking it down to just like stone cold mechanics, right? Like we were talking earlier about that aspect of uh, show, don't tell. Yeah. Um, there's also another principle I'm sure we all know about on the nose dialogue. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's that's a big thing that a yeah. lot of things, not just Todd McFarlane, but a lot of things yeah. were suffering from at that time. Him specifically, because yeah. we were just talking about him. Um, but, you know, predictable plot structure that's another thing um not saying like a three-act plot structure or whatever is bad but it's just that if there is a misuse or an abuse of it yeah uh to the point where it's it's not really creative it's just Mm. you know you're you're just kind of churning something out or you're you're writing lazy storytelling yeah yeah you're writing what you think sounds cool or you're writing what you think is is going to grab people's attention there's a difference between that um and actually thinking through how you're using the tools of the craft mm. and really making sure that you're you're telling a story with believable characters, characters mm. that have depth, um, a plot that's understandable. <laughs> that's <laughs> the first thing. We should know what's going on when we read it. But something that really resonates with readers, it's it has a life to it and a presence, and it, it sort of comes alive yeah. in your heart as well as your mind. Um, and that was... Sorry to say, that was something that was kind of lacking. Sorely uh, lacking. Yeah, yeah. Albert, didn't you reread some of Todd McFarlane's Spider-Man comics a year or two ago? I did, actually. I well, was. What going... do you have to say about the storylines and the plots? His plotting. Well, <laughs> okay. So let me let me go into like while we're discussing, you know, um, writing fundamentals. Uh-huh. Like I the the, <laughs> and I don't think the one that I mentioned is all too different but I, I do I'm a firm believer in the idea that less is more mm-hmm. and it 
in terms of the way that Todd McFarlane writes, it's like he doesn't believe that. <laughs> you know, yeah. he doesn't. Yeah. He believes more is exactly what he needs to be writing. You know, because it's just a lot of dialogue, a lot of word balloons. Because he doesn't trust the reader to be smart enough to glean. It's either he doesn't trust the reader to be smart enough to glean what the character's intentions are from uh, the the existing narrative or the the, the plot or even the art, yeah. which is sad because he's the artist. <laughs> like, <laughs> what does that say about like his faith in his art to communicate what he wants these people to be exactly. feeling? Right? Exactly. I mean, how like realistically? Come on. But yeah, like I. I guess uh, it's sort of like um, it's sort of like indie filmmaking where you can have like long periods of moments where everything is kind of shown through like interactions or facial expressions or you know uh, the behaviors of the characters. But when when you're just kind constantly having this guy talk to himself while he's doing it, it's just it's. It's just, yeah, it's super unrealistic. Uh, mm -hmm. So that, that's what I would say about his um, his dialogue, dialogue and his inner monologues and his narrations. And um, it's it's just not a, a style of writing that appeals to me at all. Um, in terms of his plots, I will I will actually defend him to some degree. Oh, yeah, um, you got a Todd McFarlane truther. <laughs> 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 truth there. Wow. I, I mean, I'd say his plots are they're they're not terrible, but they're not anything special either. Like, I wouldn't say that. It's, would you say that they're the least worst aspect of his writing? Yeah, I would actually. Okay. Okay. Like, he he did a story. There are a couple of stories that I remember. Um, he did a story that was one one story that I remember that he did was Torment, yep. which was. His first solo Spider-Man story. Yeah. And I, you know what? If I describe it to you in like two sentences, I, I think there's a way that you could like listen to that and be like, okay, I mean, that doesn't sound that could egregious. Work. Yeah, exactly. You know, it doesn't sound like he's trying to reinvent the wheel. So or... well, what's your two sentence synopsis to kind of make me think that this is going to be a good story? <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah I want to hear this too. Yeah. Uh, like if I was to break it down... uh. Uh, okay, Spider-Man kill or Spider-Man was involved with the death of one of his villains, and this villain's ex-lover is seeking revenge on Spider-Man. Okay. okay, okay, that's not stupid, okay. right? No, yeah, that's actually like, it's, pretty, it's a, a basic yeah. outline. It's, it's a, a it's really a believable yeah. Yeah. premise. Yeah. yeah, and in the hands of a better writer, <laughs> it's like okay. That yeah. works. Yeah. Okay. Like, okay. Yeah. I, I mean, some of the other elements of it are a bit silly, but like, you know, it's comics, so I can kind of ignore it. So how yeah. does so the villainous that's uh, the former lover of Craven <laughs> the Hunter decides to get back at Spider-Man by using the mystic arts of voodoo, uh -huh. and her name is Calypso, yep. and she uses these drums to mm -hmm. like whenever she beats them, they cause Spider-Man severe headaches. Hey, like even that, like okay, it's a little silly, but yeah, sure, uh, I'm not. Right. It, it's I. I think it's far less stupid than what if Spider-Man 
the Spider-Man that we've known was a clone this whole time. <laughs> I think that's far less stupid than that. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. <laughs> Again, that's actually one of the things that turned me off for a, yeah. a good long time yeah. from reading comics. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so the the other storyline that I was going to mention, uh, I don't even remember what this one was, was, was called. Was that the Perceptions? Was that the Wendigo one? Yeah. Yeah. Wendigo and Wolverine? Yeah. So... This one, this one was a, a Spider-Man and Wolverine crossover, and well, it wasn't a crossover technically. Oh, it wasn't a crossover. It was just a Spider-Man story that had right, Wolverine right. as a guest star. You're right. Sp- uh, Wolverine was a guest star. Sorry but... to get so technical, folks. No, but... no. <laughs> hey, we got to be accurate, right? Hey, Drew's all about technical, <laughs> if nothing else. And my two sentence or two to three sentence uh, description of this was a creature called the Wendigo is killing people or yeah a, a creature called the Wendigo is killing people in the Canadian like north and Spider-Man and Wolverine are going to investigate but is he the killer that we think he is <laughs> what do you think Zach is that something you'd want to read I don't know I don't I don't think I'd be terribly interested to read that <laughs> but quite honestly I I don't I don't even think it was it, it's okay so the thing about that story was it was definitely a story where Todd McFarlane was being super pretentious because the title of the story is Perceptions and it's really about... I'm just going to spoil it, but... <laughs> spoil it. <laughs> yeah, but it's really about how there are these murders that are, murders that are going on in uh, the, the countryside of um, Canada and uh, they've seen the Wendigo, this... this wild creature roaming around the north he's kind of like a like a bigfoot he's yeah he's the bigfoot sasquatch whatever you want to call it right yeah Uh, i think uh in in mythology it's like a man eater Mm -hmm. yeah so he's roaming around there and people see him and they assume that he's responsible for the killing of these people spider-man and wolverine go to investigate and you know they ultimately discover that the wendigo is being blamed for these murders when it's really someone in the community who's killing these people and using him as a um, sort of an alibi scape- uh, scapegoat. Scapegoat. scapegoat there we go, yeah, there uh, we go. for his crime so it's like see this thing that normally murders things he's totally not evil this time <laughs> so well, but hang on so so they go after this other dude who's actually killing people yeah but they leave the man-eating monster just roaming the countryside. Yeah, when... because he's an uh, he's a misunderstood beast. Because <laughs> uh, the title of the story is Perceptions, and it it forces you to question how you perceive things. Okay, See? well he didn't kill anyone this time, so <laughs> yeah. I, I guess it's okay to let him go. Yes. You know, there's a mountain lion on the loose, but he didn't kill anyone yet, so yes. let's just let him go. Yeah. Why why did Spider-Man and Wolverine team up and go to Canada though? I I, I don't think they teamed up. Purposefully, I think they just both happen to be in Canada at the same time. Oh, that's time. convenient. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, you know. Todd McFarlane <laughs> and Wolverine are both Canadian, right? Yeah. 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 And you know, Peter Parker just routinely takes trips to Canada for no reason, I'm sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, their their uh, explanation for it was there was a news story. <laughs> it was an assignment for the Daily yeah. Bugle. He was sent to Canada to cover uh, maple syrup, I believe. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know if that's true. I'm just pulling that out of my butt. <laughs> So, do you guys have any other comics that you'd like to mention? Like, something... What's another comic, Zach, from your childhood that you, um... That you remember with fondness, but now that as an adult, you might have some 
misgivings about? Oh man, um, I think we've gone through through most of them. Okay. Um, let me see if I have anything else here besides besides what I've already mentioned. Or Drew, like, if you have any on your list, we can. Going back to uh, Image Comics, one of the comics that I really adored when I was a kid was Wildcats. Wildcats. <laughs> yup. Did they did they have their own cartoon? They had their own cartoon, <laughs> and that's that. how the song went, dude. <laughs> Wildcats. Yeah, dude. Wow. <laughs> it's like this is not 80s enough for you turn it up a notch cause it was Wildcats but the C-A-T-S was a was was an acronym right because they yeah. were it was supposed to stand for covert the Covert Action, action Team yeah. Yeah. yeah so they were a wild Covert Action Team yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because nothing's bigger in the 90s than government covert black ops <laughs> because that's right. that's badass <laughs> yep. yep so wildcats so okay wildcats was created by jim lee who was one of the other big guns at marvel at the time he he rose to prominence drawing uncanny x-men for chris claremont and then eventually he got his own x-men series that also had no adjective <laughs> <laughs> True, true. I this is the 90s. We don't need no stinking adjectives. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. When X-Men number one launched, that was the highest selling comic book of all time. And it still is today. Yeah. Oh, jeez. Okay. Yeah, they made they made five covers for that, I think. Because it, it was a four-part cover that you could put them all side by side. And then they made a deluxe edition that had all of them that were already part of a fold-out. Oh, my gosh. We had every single one of those. Yeah. I, I'm not going to lie. Yeah. My older brother bought... I think three or four of them, and then I had one of them. So between us, we probably literally have all the all the. Comics. Yeah, you could put it together, man, and and have the whole panorama. Yeah, and the action sequence of that, like when you put all of them together and look at it, the action sequence of that is, it's a fever dream. <laughs> it's like, what am I looking at? It, it's like you know, a Bosch it, painting. It's supposed to be Jim Lee's '90s, uh, modern take, but. I mean, that was back then, so it's not really modern looking anymore. Yeah. But it was his version of the original X-Men number one cover. Yeah. Because mm. remember how the original X-Men number one that Jack Kirby drew was basically the f- the team flying at Magneto while Magneto's got his sh- force yeah. field powered up. And they're throwing snowballs at yeah, him. Yeah, Iceman's throwing a snowball. Yeah. Cyclops yeah. is shooting late the beam from his optic blast. <laughs> uh, for some reason, Angel has a bazooka. Yeah. Uh, Beast is about to kick him. I think Marvel girls had got her hands on her forehead or something. Yeah, yeah. classic. Like, because that's what women do. <laughs> <laughs> I understand women. I understand things. <laughs> you heard it here first. <laughs> You're listening to Between the Gutters. <laughs> but yeah, that that X Men number one. Uh, I think the first three issues were written by Chris Claremont, and then the rest of it. Uh, for the next few issues, Jim Lee was writing and drawing it himself, and he became super popular. When the other uh, image creators decided to leave Marvel, they mm. recruited Jim Lee, and he decided to go with them mm. so he could have a chance to create his own stuff that he owned. And he came up with Wildcats, which was a blatant X-Men ripoff. Mm. Yeah. If you look at the characters... Okay, so here's here's the premise of, of Wildcats. The Wildcats are... The backstory of Wildcats is that Eons ago, there was a battle of aliens, uh, and Earth was a battleground. So, 
So these aliens crash-landed on Earth back in the ancient past. Uh, one of the races was called uh, the Daemonites. So they're obviously the bad guys because they sound like demons. Yeah. And then <laughs> the, the good guys, the good aliens were called uh, the Carabim with a K. You know, they're good guys because they sound like... Cherubim? Like Cherubim. Like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm just yeah. grasping at straws, but okay. <laughs> yeah. So it's like angels and demons, you know? Yeah. Really Pretty on the nose, Joey. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> not, not very subtle, not at, subtle all. at all. <laughs> so the Wildcats takes place in the present age, and these are the descendants of those aliens who crash-landed on Earth during their <laughs> battle back in the past. The descendants uh, are basically fighting a secret war that nobody else knows about, nobody else on the planet knows about, except these people who have, who have these enhanced abilities because of their alien... Uh, lineage they're recruited by this guy named Jacob Marlowe who's kind of like a Professor X type he's he's uh, I don't necessarily think he's he, he's not handicapped or anything but he is a, a dwarf that's what I was gonna so, say he's so, a little person right yeah so so that that's what makes him different uh, the way that you know Professor X was in a wheelchair I guess yeah you got this guy who's he's he's a little person <laughs> then you got then you got. <laughs> you, That's the officially uh, sanctioned term for them. I'm just oh using what goodness. he used, man. Yeah, yeah. I'm just like <laughs> you we know. Are, we are not politically correct. <laughs> <Yeah>. Well, <laughs> then you got uh, Spartan, who's their who's their field leader. Yeah. He's basically like their Cyclops. Cyclops. Yeah. yeah, it was literally almost a one to one ratio of the X Men roster at that time. Yep, you had Maul, who was the smart and strong guy, just like the Beast. Yep, you had. Warblade, who was the claw guy. Yeah. Wolverine. He's yep. their savage. Yep. Yep. You had Voodoo, who was the hot chick with mental powers. Jean Grey. Yep. Yeah. Wait, but were her powers like magic or something? No. Or was it actually no, mental powers? No, they were like mental. Yeah. yeah. You also had <clears throat> Grifter, who was the guy, who was the mysterious cool guy with the trench coat. Their gambit. gambit. Yep. Yeah. You had Zealot, who was the chick in skimpy clothes who could fight like a ninja. Psylocke. Psylocke. <laughs> Definitely Psylocke. <laughs> So you had all these obvious analogs for the X-Men. They were f fighting against pretty generic alien bad guys. Oh, it man. it wasn't a very good comic, but when I was a kid, <laughs> I liked it. Yeah. I was just... I think the only thing that really drew me to it when I was a kid was the art. Like, I didn't really yeah. think about the story at the time. I just saw, uh, like, massive fight scenes, really, really uh, bombastic spectacle... Same here, same here. I, the, the few issues of Wildcats that I remember that I did have, and we had a few, but it was kind of like a, a hodgepodge between my brother and I. Yeah. Um, it was like more for the art than anything. I don't really remember much of anything about the story because mm -hmm. I wasn't, like you said, I wasn't that interested in it. It's just like beautiful people fighting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is interesting. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. Actually, in that same vein, you did call something else to mind if you're done. Yeah. Yeah. What you. were you going to say? Uh, Battle Chasers. Um, mm -hmm. oh, Joe Matarera. Oh, that yeah. Was, that yeah. was the artist yeah. on that. Um, that came out, and for whatever reason, the artwork just blew me away. Like, I was just, like, hook, line, and sinker. Like, and the story was okay. I mean, it was halfway comprehensible. There were words. <laughs> right? <laughs> stuff happened. It was in words. English. <laughs> I had those comics, plot. too, man. Like, um, their plotting was pretty, uh, 
basic, I'd say. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah. it was basically a Final Fantasy analog, uh, or, you know, exactly. some version it's, of that. Yeah, with... it's your basic kind of, um, we have to go on a quest to yeah, set yeah, the world yeah. straight kind of story. Yeah. But, um, you know, it was it was just when that era, like, of the shiny, glossy paper with the, mm. with the Photoshop colors and stuff, mm. it kind of hit its peak, right? It's just like, right when the ball was really rolling on that, mm-hmm. um, Joe Mad came along and he sort of like threw his style in the mix yeah. with all that and I was just like, like wow dude like it halfway looks like anime but then yeah. halfway it looks like western style too yeah. and like somehow he's he's pulling off this weird strange sort of hybrid that's going yeah. on and uh, as a kid at the time like it, you know definitely I was a huge anime fan still am mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, I was a huge totally. anime fan too and I saw that that element of it in there like it's manga-esque but not quite yeah. like there's there's it's like a, a western version of manga with like image colors like thrown in and mm. that was it man like i just wanted like every issue of that to <laughs> get my hands on you never finished it luckily no, no. there weren't that many issues yeah. <laughs> so it wasn't that much of a feat trying to collect all that yeah <laughs> and, and i look back and like even the characters in there like you know garrison or like red monica or uh gully or whatever um very much all cliches yeah. your standard kind of like fantasy yeah. kind of story i mean they're fighting werewolves yeah. for crying out loud, i don't so. think you know cliche is especially for like a fantasy comic is necessarily a bad thing i mean like they're no, just no. it's all in, it's all in the execution yeah of course yeah. Yeah. yeah of course yeah. yeah you know like every fantasy story has you know there's a reason that we go back to certain archetypes yeah and certain yeah. figures because and... the thing with with these tropes and and archetypes and stereotypes and or stereotypical characters and stock characters yeah and plots yeah. that we've already seen i don't necessarily think there's anything wrong with that it's just how how are you what are you doing with them how are you yeah. executing the ideas and on top of that, what's your take yeah you know like because again here's yeah. an example going back to to wildcats which was a horrible x-men imitation other writers came along later on and ended up doing great things. You had James Robinson who yep. who wrote Starman. Yep. Uh, Alan Moore. Yeah. I mean, of all people, Alan Moore wrote a story in yeah. in Wildcats, and he, he Alan Moore's idea was the the war that the Wildcats were fighting with the Daemonites on Earth. That the actual war, the interstellar war, ended eons ago and nobody thought to tell earth because yeah. earth was a backwater planet <laughs> yeah so this whole time they've been fighting a war that was over they find out that the war ended and they end up going back to their to their home planet even though most of them were born on earth they, yeah. they go back to to Kara yeah. and find out uh the story of how the war ended and and all of that meanwhile uh, a few of the team uh stays on earth and end up dealing with some other threat mm. but it all comes together uh later on as alan moore tells a story but but basically the whole the whole run is about what happens when you've been you think you've been fighting a war but it was actually over you've been living your whole life based on uh just not not a lie exactly but you just didn't have all the facts yeah like a half truth kind of yeah yeah like you think the stakes are much higher than they are and then the reality hit sinks in (laughs) that what you were doing really didn't matter nearly as much as he yeah. thought it did and that yeah. is compelling stuff yeah he See, took all these stock characters yeah. and did compelling work with them yeah totally totally agreed mm-hmm. my point with battle chasers is that it was not well executed <laughs> there, there were all the tropes but 
um, again, the the substance kind of wasn't there. Mm. Uh, to to kind of give another example, right, of an instance where you have tropes that are present that are, you know, pretty common. Mm-hmm. Um, <coughs> I want to throw, uh, let's say, Jonathan Hickman's Avengers out there. Mm-hmm. Excellent, excellent, fantastic work. Like, yep. I, I've read that stuff, and it just it just blew me away. And kind of going back to what you were saying, Albert, about, you know, like, less being more. Mm. Um, he's very much uh, an elegant writer to yeah. that. Usually when I think of elegance, I think of a simple solution to a very complex problem. Mm. Um, and Hickman to me is a master when it comes to doing that. I don't mm. know if it comes from that that graphic design background that he yeah. has. He's a very strong designer. Yeah. Um, if you've read, you know, Pax Romana or Nightly News or some of his earlier stuff, mm. um, you know, definitely very strong design-wise and art-wise, but he yeah. seems to take that same sensibility to his storytelling as well. Mm. Uh, he, he distills a lot of very, yeah. I guess, high-end or complex concepts into something that fits within the space of a comic book that's... Yeah that's really impressive work and the characters have depth they have you know they're compelling the story Mm -hmm. has pathos um so you have the same tropes that are always there a bunch of superheroes in a mildly dysfunctional superhero team yep but in the right hands right it's just like they become these characters that that live and that breathe in our imagination and that's sort of um a strength in craft right that's sort of an elevation of the craft yeah the kind of place that you know, we want to see nowadays, you know, mm. as opposed to being a kid when I didn't really have that same sensibility because I, I just hadn't developed it yet. It's like you don't really know what to look for sometimes uh, until you've lived long enough to have seen some of the bad stuff and some of the good stuff, you know. And if I'm still reading comics another 20, 30, 40 years from now, probably my sensibilities will have evolved or changed a little bit by mm-hmm. then as opposed to now, you mm. know. It's just how it goes. Yeah, yep. totally. That's more than fair. Yeah. Unreasonable. Um, yeah, the the one thing that I did want to mention, uh, just kind of as a snapple fact or whatever, to, just snapple fact, <laughs> whatever you want to call them, to, uh, to uh, your Wildcat story that was written by Alan Moore. Yeah. Uh, the one anecdote that I constantly remember from that is that he was inspired by this historical um, occurrence where. It was the end of World War Two, and there'd be these remote islands mm-hmm. out in the middle of the Pacific. Yeah. And there were these Japanese soldiers... Holdouts. ...who were holdouts, and yeah. they were still yeah. on these islands fighting these wars, but they were cut off from the, from, you know, the main Japanese government. They had no communications. They had no communications, and they were just in the wilderness. And uh, this actually did happen, by the way, but yeah. they were found, like, decades after, yeah. after the war had ended, and they came back to Japan... And here they were thinking that they were fighting this war uh, in the name of their empire, but in reality, their the empire had lost decades earlier, and the war was no longer even being fought. And these guys just came back to a world that they didn't belong in anymore. So again, like you said, that's that's pretty compelling stuff to be reading about. You yeah, know, yeah. tragic. That's tragic. Yeah, yeah. And this other thing with Wildcats is is Alan Moore isn't even the only one who who wrote good stuff. I mean mentioned james robinson earlier but joe casey man when he took on wildcats mm-hmm. he did some of the best stuff you'll ever read in in superhero comics yeah his, his wildcats volume two was a team comic that was the concept of that was it was it went beyond what alan moore did because alan moore's concept was what do you do when the team when the war that you were fighting is over and you didn't realize it but joe casey's concept was takes that 
aspect of it, but also throws in the, the idea of what happens when the team that you are a part of is no longer a team mm. and you have nothing that really ties you together because the only thing that really tied you together was the war, but yeah. that war <laughs> yeah. is over. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So why are it's you, a yeah, what are you going to do with your lives now? Yeah. And that's what he explored. And it, it became this, this not only on one level, it was a psychological exploration of, of what are you supposed to do, but it, it was also a really cool espionage action story with mm. involving the fractured members of the team mm. you say this is wildcats number two D is that what the title is it or? was just called wildcats but it didn't have the the acronym anymore it was just okay. called wildcats uh but you can call it wildcats volume two because volume it relaunched two. with a new number one mm. this was that era when uh Jim Lee ended up selling Wildstorm, which was his part of Image Comics, and he sold that to to DC. Mm. Right. And then DC uh, relaunched their comics. Wildcats was one of them. Mm. All right. Well, you just gave me something new to read. I'm definitely gonna. Yeah. As soon as I heard Joe Casey's name, and yeah, like, I want I'm interested to see what he's gonna do. Yeah, with Wildcats. Sean, Sean Phillips drew it. It's huh? it's one of the finest superhero comics I can ever recommend. Nice. nice. I didn't know about that. Yeah. Man. Thanks. Yeah. So that it just goes to show you that even even a a silly concept. Yeah. You know, somebody out there might have enough talent to polish a turd. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, that's the theme of our uh, topic today, right? Is like, what what comics have we read and, you know, in the past, they, like, haven't aged very well, but, you know, we as readers ha have grown and developed. So, I mean, I, I think that's, no, there's no greater testament to the idea that these comics aren't necessarily confined to to the one bad story that they are like mm -hmm. they they continue to live and they continue to grow and we can still get great stories out of them so you know uh, that age with us yeah yeah well said um and it's it's not about uh sort of casting shade or like you know throwing negativity on on authors and this person's such a terrible person and we don't like it's not it's not just a complain fest about things um it's just you know we there's certain things that we like in story now and that we've learned over the years and we're sort of holding up um how those mechanics function mm -hmm. and and how they work well and how they sometimes fail like how they can how they cannot work well so it's it's more of an object lesson for us or some lessons that we've learned or we've been through um as opposed to anything else i mean a lot of these guys i have fond memories of like i said like some of this stuff des definitely has nostalgia value for me like mm. i i will probably pick up a old issue of x-men every once in a while and flip through <laughs> it and laugh and have a lot of good memories but yeah. you know the stuff you grew up with isn't always the same stuff you stay with so very true yeah yeah very i mean true. my taste in music now are <laughs> much different from when i was little so we ain't kids no more exactly yeah, we exactly ain't. we ain't yeah uh so you guys have anything else you want to add before we end no, the show i i'm content i feel like uh we've discussed it yeah and yeah i think I, we're good we close this one that out. was fun uh i just love chopping it up about comics any topic about comics that anyone ever wants to talk about i'm always game for that you can email us yep we're we're at uh our email is between the gutters podcast at gmail.com so hey if you if you have a podcast topic idea yeah. that you want to 
discuss. Try to stump us. Yeah. Try to challenge us. Yeah. See if we can talk at length about it. <laughs> yeah. I, I invite that. Direct yeah. all hate mail totally. to Drew, please. You, you can ask questions <laughs> like, Albert, does is Doomsday stronger than Brainiac? <laughs> um... I believe that Doomsday has more bone particles coming out of his fist than Brainiac. So, uh, if we were to determine strength by bone particles, yes. Okay. Oh, okay. Observation. See, wow. Yeah. Professor. See, over there. see, Albert knows stuff, man. Yeah. Albert knows. <laughs> yeah. I. Uh, I like fried foods, so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a that's a contributing factor, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> Zach, thanks for being on our show. Yeah, it's uh, fun to have you. You gotta come, come back, back again. Yeah, please come back. No problem, man. Anytime, anytime. Yeah. Okay, this is between the butters. <laughs> <laughs> this is between the gutters podcast. Oh, magnificent! Thank fail. you for joining us. <laughs> between the gutters, where we talk about the stories within the pen. Wait, between the- <laughs> ah, you got me tripping over my words. Between the butters, <laughs> <laughs> where we talk about the story. Between the panels. There you go. There, there you go. go. Between the gutters. <laughs> Between the gutters. Shankadanka, y'all. Shankadanka. Oh my goodness. Yes. Zach, you this... gotta say Shankadanka. Shankadanka? I gotta say Shankadanka. <laughs> you guys, this has been Between the Gutters. Yes, we do tell the stories uh, between the panels or the gutters or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) We're really building our brand. (laughs) This is live from San Francisco. We do not edit anything. As you can tell, there's no teleprompter. It's all real. It's all raw. All real, all raw. All the time.